Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, Nicole Kidman goes over to the dark side in Destroyer. I've spent all my scrapping, jealous, hungry, scared. I want to find something decent, something good. Rebel Wilson is locked into the light side. Isn't it romantic? I think I'm trapped in a... My life's become a mother... Romantic comedy! And Hang Time, a Kiwi independent film with all the right moves. Okay, you guys ready? We have a beautiful vineyard. We have amazing wine. I've got my best friend, two beautiful girls, and an American warrior by my side. I like your style. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. When shocking events like those of the past weekend occur, the reverberations travel worldwide. Suddenly, New Zealand was confronted with true evil, not the made-up Hollywood kind. And the appalling violence is more shocking because it doesn't make sense. It came seemingly from nowhere, and for many of us, there's no resolution to it. I saw a review for a movie I was planning to look at this week, complaining that it didn't explain the violence. There's been a big shooting at the CST station. Madam, this is the Taj Hotel. You're very safe here. But all too often when real-life horrors occur, like those covered in the film Hotel Mumbai, they're not explained because they can't be. There is no explanation. Certainly not the convenient motivations we're used to in movies. Security, can we get security now? Unsurprisingly, the Australian film based on the events at the Taj Hotel Mumbai in 2008 has been withdrawn from the cinemas this week. But even without it, Australia features quite a lot in today's show. I lied. I stole. And worse. People are dead. It's my fault. Favourite daughter Nicole Kidman has made a big stir with an astonishing performance in the Golden Globes-nominated Destroyer. Some are saying it's her best performance to date. It's certainly very different from what we'd expect from her, unlike the latest from another Australian notable comedian, Rebel Wilson. Good morning, beautiful. Last night was amazing. I didn't think we actually did anything and just cut to the next morning. What? Just get back here. OK. Good morning, beautiful. Last night was amazing. Natalie, I love... 
Isn't it romantic? Is very safely in the strident Miss Wilson's wheelhouse, having its romantic comedy cake, while at the same time chewing it up and spitting it out. It's perhaps more interesting for its release strategy. Like Roma and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, it's been produced by online streaming service Netflix. Unlike them, it's not likely to bother the scorers at Oscar time. Buster Scruggs. The same. You make a sweet noise there, partner. That's high praise coming from the San Saba Songbird, Herald of Demise. I've been hunting you up on account of they say you're the one to beat. And finally, a little independent New Zealand film set around the wine industry. Hang time isn't so much in general releases on a long wine trail from vineyard to vineyard with occasional stopovers in the major cities. Hashtag new friendship. This crazy thing happens, like, no matter how many clothes I go to bed in, I just always wake up naked. It will be interesting to compare a small, ultra-low-budget young folks comedy musical with the rather bigger, officially released Daffodils next week. But first, is the world ready for Dirty Harriet? Nicole Kidman stars in Destroyer. I'm not good. I'm the one who's bad. It's not you. All right. Sorry for lying to you. Over the years, I confess I've had mixed feelings about Nicole Kidman. Despite her obvious appeal, I'm also told she's one of the nicest people in the business. I kept feeling I was watching acting going on. But recently, she's turned in some extremely convincing performances, notably in Secret in Their Eyes and Lion. However, in Destroyer, acting once again makes its presence felt. If we do this, we accept the consequences. Yes. You love me. You know I do. The structure of Destroyer is one of those too clever by about three quarters time travel flashback thrillers. It opens on a bleary shot of a punch drunk Nicole reeling after yet another night out. She's Erin Bell, a once hotshot LA cop who burned out spectacularly after, well, after something happened. I spent my whole life scrapping, jealous, hungry, scared. I want to find something decent, something good. You think you've seen burnouts before, often played by Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson. Well, they're lightweights compared with Erin Bell. Bell staggers out of her crapmobile because she sees a police investigation going on by the aqueduct. Is she a drunken passerby? No, it seems she's still on the payroll, though her colleagues aren't expecting much in the way of forensic insights. No ID, no idea. But this is just the start, and as is often the case in thrillers like this, much of Destroyer is in the backstory. Stand by for flashbacks, and not just the occasional woozy memory. These are industrial strength flashbacks, reminiscent of the bewildering Memento starring fellow Australian Guy Pearce. I know your whole story. Placing our agent undercover, she'll look right enough next to our guy.
And we're following more than one timeline here, a trend that's becoming as common as it is often irritating. First, we take Erin back to her first big undercover job, where she has to pretend to be the girlfriend of colleague Chris, played by Captain America's Sebastian Stan. All right, kiss me. Why? So I know. I don't want to look surprised the first time it happens in public. Dead serious. Aaron and Chris are investigating a gang of brutal bank robbers led by a borderline psychotic played by Toby Kebbell, who, as far as I know, has never played anything else. Even in the Planet of the Apes, he was the bad egg. Something clearly went on during that ill-fated operation, but our visits to that part of the past are so brief and fragmented that it's hard to keep tabs on what happened and how it affected Aaron's grip on reality. You chose to play cops and robbers. And you lost. No! No, you cops! Meanwhile, another strand of the past is unravelling and needs attending to. Erin's relationship with her daughter Shelby, who's clearly going off the rails. This is hardly surprising, we're told, with the example she's been set by her mother. I know what it's like to grow up mad. Jealous, hungry, scared. I didn't want that for you. During these conversations, we flash back to events in mother and daughter's lives, and then to mother and her mother's life. Erin's own mum was even worse than Erin, apparently. And we also regularly flash back to Chris and Erin's adventures playing with bank robbers, trying to piece together where it all went wrong. Oh, and investigating that murder at the start of the film, remember? I'm mad. I'm still mad. It's burned a circuit in my brain. And all the time we're peering at Nicole Kidman, half fascinated, half repulsed by her makeup job. How could her face look like such a car wreck while keeping her figure as trim and model-like as ever? And more to the point, what's with that voice? You can be better than me. It's part Clint Eastwood with a hangover, part the Wicked Witch in the old Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, all presumably in aid of the proposition that if we enjoy watching male burnt-out cops, then why wouldn't we go for a female version? No reason at all, I suppose, but it's a big if. My own level of burnt-out former cop tolerance tends to stop at Humphrey Bogart or Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. To paraphrase a fake Australian, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, I think Nicole Kidman is guilty of going full burnt-out rather than Hollywood burnt-out. Never go full burnt-out, Nicole, not even for the Golden Globes. I just want to do one good thing.
The Academy Awards were under several microscopes this year with close scrutiny of their treatment of minorities, their support of women, their representation of the gay and trans communities, not to mention the character of the various people involved in handing the things over. But on a more practical business level, the closest scrutiny went on what qualified as an actual movie. This is the best work we've ever done. It's a real film, Jack. Feels good. You made it fly. You know, this is a film I want them to remember me by. Industry heavyweights like Steven Spielberg in the States and Mike Lee in the UK are particularly sceptical about the role of internet streaming service Netflix. Is a film that only shows on Netflix worthy of competing with traditional cinema releases? Well, this year, the answer was yes and no. Roma, which won a number of awards, qualified because it was given a short cinema release before going to Netflix. The Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs wasn't, but still got a couple of nominations. No awards, though, I notice. Another young fella with something to prove. i got to set myself up in the undertaking business. Stop doing all the skill work so another man can profit. But then... Do I want to wear a black suit? The question is, can Netflix's movie features match the undoubted success of their serial dramas? Which is why I was curious about their highly touted satirical rom-com, Isn't It Romantic? The premise looks promising. It opens on 12-year-old Natalie glued to a video of Pretty Woman starring Julia Roberts. Her mother, a slumming Jennifer Saunders, poo-poos her enthusiasm. It's just a movie. You see, Natalie, life's not a fairy tale. Girls like us don't get that. But why? Well, look in the mirror, doll. We're no Julia Roberts. 25 years later, Natalie, now played by the not-for-all-tastes Rebel Wilson, has taken this cynicism to heart. The Aussie blonde comedian is best known as Fat Amy in the Pitch Perfect movies, where, in between singing and making a show of herself, she usually finds love in the shape of Adam Devine. And here he is again. Every day is payday, swipe my card, then I What are we talking about? Natalie is saying that romantic comedies are bad. All those movies are lies, they're terrible pop songs. I think people would have an easier time seeing you if you were a little more open. Encouraged by her workmates, Natalie decides to be a bit more outgoing and even smiles at the friendly chap on the New York subway train. He turns out not to be as friendly as she thought. Hey, I'm Jack. Natalie. Give me the purse! Why does this shit always happen to me? Stop Me, or rather Stop Rebel, if you've heard the story or something like it before. A bang on the head later and suddenly Natalie wakes up, no, not in the land of Oz, but in an equally fantastic world where everyone is good looking and everywhere is art directed to a standstill. Where am I? You're in the emergency room. This isn't an emergency room, this is a Williams Sonoma. Make them away down. 
It looks like somebody's put a beauty filter across New York City. In a daze, Natalie goes home to her seedy flat, only to discover it's been converted into something out of Sex and the City, while her workplace is full of people hanging on her every word. A world of perfection, in other words. Naturally, she panics. 911, what's your emergency? Someone's broken into my apartment and they've taken everything and replaced it all with much nicer stuff. So your emergency is that your apartment is too big and you have every shoe you could ever want. Yeah, exactly. That's what I... Um... I uh... And where, we wonder, is the glamorous Prince Charming in her new life? It's fellow Australian Luke Hemsworth playing a millionaire bachelor with a thing for the word beguiling. Natalie realises she's in her worst nightmare, a real-life rom-com, one in which she's not even allowed to swear. And guys look at me in the eyes. You're quite beguiling, aren't you? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? No! Oh, my God. I think I'm trapped in a... So now what? Clearly, Isn't It Romantic was planned as the romantic comedy equivalent of the tongue-in-cheek Scream movies, part love letter, part parody of a routine format. So what went wrong, and why did the film end up buried on Netflix rather than getting a respectable cinema screening? You'd think the rom-com would be a genre ripe for the taking off. I think I might be going crazy. I hit my head really hard and I woke up in this alternate universe. And now I have a gay sidekick who's setting gay rides back like a hundred years. I love working the legs. But is it, though? Part of the appeal of the two-hanky romance is audiences already know how artificial it is. They're in on it. And the good ones play with the conventions and surprise us into going along with them. Okay, Booch, what's the update? I have to get a man to fall in love with me. Boom, 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 yeah. I'm Josh. That is such a beautiful name. All the elements are here. They even call out the cliches of these movies, right down to Rebel Wilson doing a full production karaoke version of a Whitney Houston number. But they don't add up to anything. Certainly nothing as smart and savvy as Netflix's TV series The Good Place, which this shamelessly copies more than once. In fact, Isn't It Romantic can barely fill out the hour and a half of its duration, so at the end it marks time with a long version of yet another production number. And the upshot is that if this is the standard of current Netflix one-off movies, I don't think Steven Spielberg and Mike Lee need worry about undue competition at award time. Isn't it romantic? Not remotely. I sympathise with any New Zealand films trying to get noticed in the current extremely competitive climate. They're chasing publicity on a fraction of the marketing budget of most overseas films, and they're also competing with TV, Netflix and each other. I see why girls like this. I feel so safe. You are safe now. There are enough resources to really get behind just one or two New Zealand films a year. And this year, that's the high-profile musical Daffodils, rather than a film like the little independent Hangtime. Hey, Harry. I, uh, 
I love you so much, but I've called off the wedding. So, Hangtime's strategy is to take it from place to place, an old-fashioned roadshow. But while admirably cost-effective, this approach is not much help for the rest of us who might feel like seeing it. This is exactly the sort of film that would benefit from being picked up by Netflix or somebody. You good? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Rise and shine, Band of Venice. The story of Hangtime is simple, deceptively so, because director Casey Zilbert has apparently built her buddy comedy around Ernest Hemingway's rather more serious novel, The Sun Also Rises. Anyway, our hero, accountant Harry, gets dumped by his fiancée for reasons that are a little opaque. He was too awesome or something. Fortunately, his BFF, Ants, is there to pick up the slack. I'm here with my main man, Harry, and we're about to kick it across the Cook Street for an epic South Island bro down. <laughs> what was that? Social media, man. There's a lot of 20-something bonding, relating and social mediaing in hang time. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Anyone who is or who's ever been about 23 will relate to Ants, Harry and their friends, Sister Jess and Bella. Oh, it just got warm. Is that you, Ants? Yeah. <laughs> I want to know why the girls get the delicious drinks. Just because it's pink doesn't mean it's a girl's drink. Here I am thinking that you're the progressive type. Jess is working at the vineyard owned by her Auntie Lynn and Uncle Chris, played by the real-life Lynn and Chris, who I assume donated the location in return for co-producer credit. At the last minute, who should arrive but the enigmatic American uncle of Harry's ex-bride-to-be? And once again, displaying cunning budgetary nous, Uncle Jake is played by Steve Barr, the film's actual producer. OK, you guys ready? We have a beautiful vineyard. We have amazing wine. I've got my best friend, two beautiful girls, and an American warrior by my side. I like your style. The quintet bonds over wine, a subject that writer-director Casey Zilbert is clearly knowledgeable and enthusiastic about. Is it a metaphor? Probably. The good news is that Hangtime looks several million bucks, not just the camera work, but the smart imaginative editing. It's sunny, intelligent, with generally convincing characters. Hey, dude. I'm sorry you never got married. She might not be the one, but the one's still out there. Well, out here? Europeans and German travellers come through quite a lot frequently over the summertime. (laughs) Having set up the small cast, Casey Zilbert belatedly works to give each of the characters some dimension, dishing out backstories as she goes, but often a wee bit clumsily, stopping the action so someone can tell their story only really works in a musical. One... Two. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get wrecked and have a great time. And while music plays a strong role in Hangtime, it's not that sort of musical. Mostly there's a lot of talk, which would be fine if there was something underpinning it, you know, like a plot. In Hangtime, nobody seems to have much at stake other than getting past one hangover to make room for another one. Can you read my file? Do you still have the tricks? Sure. I see here a very mysterious woman. (laughs) And what does uh, this mysterious woman want? Something she's been thinking about all 
afternoon. Of course, I appreciate many 20-year-olds can relate to this activity, but a movie needs a little more to drive it than simple credibility. Maybe they should have taken a tip from Hemingway and put a bullfight in there somewhere. Still, Hang Time is sunny, funny and deftly made. Borrow a 20-year-old and pop along if you get the chance. And yes, a glass of wine will help. And on that encouragement to the wine industry, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.